Hey everyone, welcome to Business Access by TD Image. My name is Diego D'Souza and I'm excited today to talk to Adam Levine. Adam, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? And you, you have to tell your listeners not that Adam Levine, which I have to tell everybody. <laughs> you know, I thought about that because I was like, he probably gets it all the time and people probably asked him to sing a song and then it just got out of hand. So I kind of kept that joke out of it this time. I, I, appreci I appreciate you doing that. You're believe it or not, incredibly rare because everybody thinks that that's the first time I've heard it and it's the funniest thing. Anyway, I'll let you go on, but, but uh, thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. So I'm talking to you because when I saw your profile on LinkedIn, it says words matter media. I'm like, wow, that means something. And I want to find out more about it. So Adam, tell us a little bit about your history and how you came to starting Words Matter Media. Sure. Um, so my career path really started because of my love of politics and history as a kid. Um, uh, I was about five years old when my, when my maternal grandfather uh, gave me a record of all John F. Kennedy speeches. Um, and, you know, some kids like uh, the Beatles or uh, back, back I'm, I'm old, when it was the Rolling Stones, the Eagles, you know, the 70s groups. But I listened to that record of President Kennedy's speeches over and over again. And as a uh, five-year-old, I memorized them and could do them in perfect Boston accent. And what's an amazing thing is uh, we are now uh, 46 years later and uh, I can still do, uh, we observe today, not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. And I could do the entire inaugural address, which I will not bore you and your listeners with, <laughs> from memory. And so from an early age, that was what captured my attention. You know, I remember watching an interview with Bruce Springsteen where he said it was watching Elvis on the Ed Sullivan show for him. Me, it was listening to John F. Kennedy on a record. And then I, I took that and um, went to Washington, D.C. to go to college. Um, I studied at George Washington University. And my career really began as a 19-year-old intern for the late, great Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Democrat of New York. Um, I, I signed up and, and put it in the application because uh, my mother's Irish. My father um, is um, Jewish. Uh, I'm from the state of New York. I'm a Democrat. We had two senators, one Republican, one Democrat. Moynihan's an Irish guy who worked for John Kennedy. I said, oh, I'll do this. I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, still to this day, uh, the greatest experience uh, that I think I will ever have just because um, of what kind of person he was, and more importantly, the people he surrounded himself with. My, my intern coordinator was Lawrence O'Donnell uh, from MSNBC, um, and the list of Moynihan alumni uh, is really too long to mention uh, who've gone on to do great things. Um, and really every person that I, that I know and every experience and definitely every job I've ever had since then is because of that internship. Um, and then after I, I then joined the senator's staff, uh, went to graduate school in between, came back, uh, joined him on the finance committee when he was chairman. Uh, then I, I left uh, when he told me he wasn't going to run for re-election. I wanted to go. Lawrence had already gone into television. Uh, I wanted to go into television. Um, I wound up getting a job with uh, Dr. John McLaughlin of McLaughlin Group fame. Um, most people, even my age, know him from the Saturday Night Live impression of him. But um, uh, that was sort of a... Uh, a groundbreaking show in Washington. And, you know, in some ways he started the scream TV, but he was a very thoughtful, um, very conservative Republican, not really my politics, but 
um, he had great guests on and, and great journalists. And so that was my first foray into TV. And then I wound up going to NBC News uh, as a senior producer for Hardball. And then I worked for another former Moynihan staffer, another late great, unfortunately, um, Tim Russert, um, uh, who was the Washington bureau chief and the moderator of Meet the Press. And so that's how I got into that. I, I wound up leaving television to go work in the White House for George W. Bush after 9-11. Um, I, I naively, as I was going to that job interview, I called a then retired Senator Moynihan, who had worked in various administrations, but had worked specifically in the White House as a Democrat for Richard Nixon. Wow. And I, I, yeah, I said to the senator, I said, um, Senator, you know, I'm, I'm going for this interview. I, I think they might offer me the job. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And he laughed as only Moynihan could laugh. And he said, lad, I learned before you were born. You don't say no to presidents. <laughs> um, and uh, now he never knew that this man was president, the current president, but uh, he might have had a different view. But back then, uh, and he had been uh, fairly close both before uh, he was in the Senate and both definitely before he was president with George H.W. Bush. And uh, they, the, Moynihan was US, United States ambassador to India. Well, um, uh, Bush was uh, ambassador to China, so they developed a very close friendship and relationship. And so I was welcomed, even as a New Yorker, even as a Democrat, even as a former NBC employee, into the Bush White House by the president himself and and by many many others with open arms. And they were they treated me, um, and I, I hate to say this sometimes because I'm I've always been a registered Democrat and uh, uh, probably always will be, but they treated me uh, much better than I think uh, Democrats would have treated a Republican in that situation. It, it, the West Wing uh, experience of that was not what I, my, my office was not in the basement. Um, wow. So, yeah. So, so, so I, I was very lucky. I did that for two years, uh, then left to uh, uh, go in the world of finance. But uh, that's, that's, was really my career path in the things that are related to words matter. Um, and uh, so that's that's you know that's how I got that's how I got to where I I I, I was when I when I founded Words Matter. I'd worked in finance for ten years, but uh, uh, that's awesome. That's so that's so. It's it's always great to hear when both parties work together. It's something that's very hard to hear today, as we know. But it's good to hear when uh, when a party uh, like effectively accepts uh, another party member into their house and and allows them to work and do the best job that they can I, I love hearing that and it's and I miss that and I do have to say this you, you talk about listening to old records and I I love listening to those old records that had the daily news on there or the yearly news like a year to date right you know absolutely yo absolutely I, yes i love i actually recently got one for my brother-in-law uh because he he collects old records and i got one from him and he loved it so so let's let's talk about words matter media what said to you that i need to start this this needs to happen um it's a great question and um what happened was like i said i worked in finance for uh 10 years and i left right about the time, as a matter of fact, it was the same month that Donald Trump started running for president. And, you know, I was at a point in my life, I was 45 years old, I said, uh, 46 actually, and I'd done a little consulting for political candidates leading up to the race, but I just kind of wanted to figure out what I was going to do next. And more importantly, I saw that we were at a um, critical moment in history. Again, history was my love. I went to University of Virginia for my master's degree in history, thought I was actually going to be a history professor until I went back to work for Moynihan. And 
from the very beginning of that campaign, I knew that there was a chance he could be elected. And I say that because one of my close friends who I was actually the first host of the podcast, uh, one of the first hosts, uh, Steve Schmidt, Steve um, and I were talking one day and there's nobody who knows more about um, or at least the previous Republican nomination, the way it was before the party was before Donald Trump, about getting that nomination. And it was about July of that year. Steve and I were hanging out in my apartment in San Francisco. And I said, I got a question. Can he get the nomination? And Schmidt looked at me in that very quintessential state. He says, there's absolutely no reason why he can't get that nomination. And he laid out the five reasons. So when I have somebody like that tell me that he can get the nomination, I believe him. Secondly, I am well aware that once you get the nomination uh, of a major party, the Democrats, the Republicans in this country, and by the way, this goes for most offices. And, and I'll, you know, I'll use an example in New York City in 2001, everybody thought the Democrat was going to win. Uh, there was a great USA Today story, uh, September 10th, 2001, about how Mark Green was measuring the drapes in uh, City Hall. Well, then 9-11 happens and we, re- we elect Michael Bloomberg. As the mayor. And so I knew that once he got that nomination, there was a coin toss um, of whether you can actually be president, no matter who you are. Um, so I, from the very beginning, I believed that it was possible. There were many times in that campaign when I didn't think he'd get it, particularly right after the Access Hollywood tape, other moments. And, and you know, part of me was skeptical for a lot of the time, but I knew it was possible. And there was a lot of times I wasn't sure. Um, and to me, that election and the era that we're in, it was really a battle of over whether words and truth and facts actually have meaning in our politics, in our country, in our society. Um, And so I saw that shaping up. I had the luxury of not having to go out and worry about getting a job to pay the rent. And so I watched and I observed and I uh, you know, did things to keep myself busy and and, and engaged uh, consulting wise. But I really was was watching that. And um, then it happened. And, uh, you know, the first uh, I really came up with the idea around August of uh, 2017. So it was only, you know, about, you know, seven or eight months after he took office. Um, and the phrase actually comes from the the, the, the idea words matter actually comes from one of my former bosses that I mentioned before, Tim Russert. And Tim Russert, when he hosted Meet the Press, he was known as a tough but fair interviewer. And again, he's somebody who, you know, I've missed him since the day he left us, but um, we miss him more now since January 20th, or more importantly, June of 2015 than, than, uh, than, than anybody else I can imagine on this planet, because he would hold politicians accountable. And when I, after I left NBC and went to work in the White House, I would brief officials, everybody from the president to cabinet secretaries to uh, whomever was uh, going to go on TV that that weekend for Meet the Press. And during that briefing, at some point, I would say, and I remember very specifically saying it once to Dr. Condoleezza Rice before one of her interviews, um, and she was somebody who always enjoyed the prep, took it seriously, worked really hard at it, and always did well in the interviews because she, she worked. Right. And I just remember saying, oh, and Dr. Rice, By the way, if at any point during this interview, Tim Russert looks across the table, because back then we actually did interviews face-to-face sitting um, across the table for big, important shows like Meet the Press, and says, Dr. Rice, words matter. Concede the point and move on. Because if you don't, and 
Dr. Rice is a nice lady from uh, Alabama. I wouldn't ever cuss in front of her, I'd say, because he'll spend the the rest of the interview beating the living stuffing out of you. Um, <laughs> I remember and, her. I remember her. Yeah, on that show, and she, uh, you know, answered a lot of questions, and it was important. So that's that's really where where the impetus came from, where the idea came from. And I have to say, there've been moments since then, and since we started, when everybody from Speaker Pelosi to others have uttered the phrase, um, because that's where we are. We're at a place where um, we're we're trying to uh, sort out that tension, um, and really do. Do words have meaning? Do facts have meaning? And does the truth have meaning? Wow. That's powerful. That's really powerful. I, 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 it's, it's so confusing today. And that's why I mean that's so powerful. Information. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Information yeah. flow today is very confusing. It's not, and especially right now, because a lot of people have anxiety. A lot of people are dealing with so many issues at once that people are scared, nervous, they, they don't know certain things that are important to their daily management or weekly management. And to hear that, it that's what makes what you just said so powerful. Well, it is important. And like you said, it doesn't just apply to politics. It, it applies to across, you know, again, like I said, I spent, um, you know, more than a decade in the private sector uh, working in the finance world and working with uh, people who bought companies and then helping those companies figure out some of these issues. And you're absolutely right. I mean, this is, uh, it's confusing for people, um, the flow of information and what's real and what's not. Yeah, exactly. It's like we have a, a, a new insurance company that we don't know what ha- what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so you're, in your podcast, um, I, I got to listen to some of it, but Tell us all the topics that you cover in your podcast. Tell us uh, some of the main topics. Well, look, we cover politics, period. Um, now, we do that through me- very many lenses. We do it through entertainment. We do, we've do done it through, um, we had, um, um, uh, you know, we've had doctors on. We've had, we have college professors on. Um, but we mostly, a lot of journalists, but we cover politics. That's what we, that's what we do. Um, and so regardless of what we're talking about, there's a political angle. Um, now that obviously stretches into society, it stretches into policy, it stretches into popular culture, but it is really a political focused podcast. That's awesome. I think I I love that you proudly say that because I think everyone should have their view and be able to say it and, and speak about it proudly. Um, of course, today one of the issues that I, I run into all the time it, it's when you when you state your what I call your party allegiance, um, it automatically becomes a debate in conversation, and I don't understand why it needs to automatically go into that. Um, I have a lot of people that I, that are on opposite parties, and I have incredible conversations with them. And my personal perspective is, is I really dive in into what works, what I feel it works. And I do the research in whatever, whatever, uh, issue it is, whatever cause it is to try to see, um, where I align to, because I think, um, it doesn't matter which party you're in when that person comes into control of the country their views are going to be influenced by their personal growth. 
So Absolutely. understanding their their background, their history will allow me to understand their point of view and where they can take this country. Um, and, and so it's always, to me, I've always been that person that teeter-totters because I have seen some re uh, Republican presidents who had great views, great uh, solutions, and have done uh, incredibly well as I've seen some Republican, um, some Democratic presidents who have done has had great views and great solutions that have taken this uh, country forward. I just wish they both would come together and just you know do a high five on the way out and say, "All right, your turn," and you know make it happen. So, yeah, no, look, I mean, I think that that's and, and what you're describing is the world that I grew up in, mm -hmm. and some of Senator Moynihan's closest friends were Republicans. Obviously, I joined a Republican White House, but I do think we're in a different place here. Right. Um, you know, Joe Biden, I think, says it right, um, whether you like Joe Biden or not, that we are in a battle for the soul of this country. Yeah. Um, and it is, again, as somebody who has studied history, um, you know, I, I mostly thought Donald Trump could win in 2016 because I thought that was a time of great upheaval um, and change and that, that we are a culturally conservative country. And the only year I could compare it to um, was... 1968, which was before I was born, but I knew enough people who lived through it and my parents did and I've read enough of the history and I worked for people who lived through it. And uh, we elected Richard Nixon president in 1968 because as I said, America, I believe is a culturally conservative country and they don't, we don't like chaos. Um, so uh, that's, that's why I thought that as we sit here today, and I don't say this hyperbolically or overly dramatic, um, but we are as close to 1860 as we have ever been. Wow. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Wow. And Lincoln, Lincoln gave that famous speech, uh, Cooper union, not far from where I'm sitting, uh, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Very true. Very true. Wow. Whew. Are, are you running or anything or is, is that? Absolutely, is absolutely that? not. No, it's funny because when you get, when you get into politics at a young age, and I always say this, you know, whether it's uh, on a sports team or uh, uh, in, in Hollywood, you know, entertainment or, you know, production, you have to know your role. And uh, I, when I told you about uh, that, that record from long, long ago, one of the people I became enamored with, obviously, was President Kennedy, but was his speechwriter, Ted Sorensen, um, who wrote all those great words. Now, he taught me, and I was fortunate to get to know Mr. Sorensen um, much, much later, but he said that the, the key really was to not write the speech if I was Ted Sorensen, who was the president of the United States, but if I were John F. Kennedy, who had the time to write that speech, what would I do? And, uh, you know, I was fortunate that when I worked for President Bush, Certain, uh, I didn't never wrote a full speech because most full speeches were written by a team of much more talented than than I am and much more qualified speechwriters. But there were times on the road when we'd have to give a statement or we'd have to do something, and I'd write something. And uh, I he always used it not because my words were that great, or because I said, "All right, uh, what would George W. Bush say?" And I've never wanted to be the guy. Um, there's a lot of um, that comes with wanting to run for office. And I, I've always been interested in helping good people govern, run for office, uh, beyond television, beyond the air. Uh, but myself, I've never really had that desire. And I know that I am 
much better behind the scenes than I am, but it's, it's nice of you to, nice of you to say. As, as they say, those that don't want the job technically should get the job, but we'll move, <laughs> we'll move, we'll move on from it. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but l- let me ask you this. Uh, um, I love the people that you have on your podcast. Is there a person that has come on your podcast that really has influenced you, has made you think deeper or, or, change how you process certain things well look they all change you in some ways and i mean that sincerely because Mm -hmm. we put a lot of time and effort into um researching our guests you know when when you're going to be a guest on our podcast as i like to i had one of my uh friends on uh last week paul begala um from who worked for president clinton famously um and paul just wrote a book and and i downloaded the book uh on on audio and I spent, you know, nine hours before that interview listening, you know, over a couple of days, I said, Paul, you know, I feel like I've just, I've just been with you for the last three days. Um, but so you learn something and, and a good example, I mean, look, we've been very fortunate. We've had some great guests. We had just had Congressman Hakeem Jeffries on this morning, uh, lots of reporters, but I'll give you a good example of, um, April Ryan. And I don't know if you know, uh, April Ryan, white house correspondent, she's right. tangled with, um, President uh, Trump several times. Well, April's been, she's one of the longest serving White House correspondents at this point, and she's been in that press room for 23 years. And so when I was in that press room, she was as well. And I, so I've known April for a very long time. I had her on um, in February of uh, 2019. And what was amazing was I sat there, and again, I've been honored April. I, the last White House correspondence dinner I ever went to in 2006, because a certain point you stopped going to those, uh, I went as April's guest. Um, and, uh, I, I listened to her and we talked and I prepared for that interview and she'd written, she's written two books. I read both the books. And what was amazing was sitting across from somebody who you've known for 20 years, who you think you knew, who you're friends with, um, and asking them questions after you've done the research and listening to her talk about her experience growing up as a black woman in Baltimore and getting into journalism and finding herself at a young age in the white house press room. Um, it really not only changed the way I looked at the world, it changed the way I looked at my friend, April, um, again, who's an amazing person. But, uh, when I, if I hadn't sat down to interview her, I don't think I would have really fully appreciated what a, an amazing, courageous. And, um, you know, again, she's always been my friend and she's always been a great reporter, but the depth of character that I learned. And so now every time when I watch her and, uh, you know, something happens in that press room or in a press conference, I'll send her a little note and she writes back. And, you know, uh, it was, if you, if you, if there's one interview, um, that I loved, uh, it was that one. Um, I was also fortunate. We interviewed Rob Reiner, who was somebody I'd watched on TV growing up. And, uh, that was one of the ones that, uh, you know, I'd never understood his, He's always been, even from the character he played on All in the Family, a very um, lefty kind of guy. And um, I got, it, was, it was fun because I got to ask the question, um, so you have some experience with uh, racist, homophobic, bigoted guys from loudmouths from Queens. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all, those, all the interviews change you, which is why you do it, because right. uh, it's interesting. Yeah, this is, this is why we do... Our podcast started because of uh, businesses wanted to figure out how they can communicate with their uh, communities, their environment, and how they can reach out. And so we started it out that way. But 
people started learning from the people that came on and we kept going. We kept reaching out to people that I felt w- would be very informative. Would be We touched different areas of businesses, uh, whether it, it's it comes to the personality side of it or come to the truly business aspect of it. Um, and, and it's been incredible. Just like you said, it, it's just been amazing having people on. And I'm excited to hear that you enjoy every single episode. And I think people should listen to Words Matter Media because like you said, it, it's really interesting that you see someone on television, that you hear someone speak speaking really quickly and, or you've kind of known them for a little bit, but when you hear them answering certain questions, you really find the depth of their, of their life, the depth of where they come from. And so it's awesome to hear that. And I'm excited that you had that opportunity. Absolutely. So let me ask you, um, let me ask you, when it comes to your podcast, who would be one person that you would love to interview to ask some questions? Well, look, again, as a guy from New York who grew up when I grew up, I'd, I'd love to have Bruce uh, Springsteen on. Um, <laughs> he, he was the one guest uh, Tim could never get on Meet the Press. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure I'll have any more success than, than my friend Tim did. Um, but Michelle Obama. Wow. Um, you know, I've, I've read her book. I've watched the, I've, you know, I've met her. I'm very fortunate in my life to have interacted with these people. But I'd just love to sit down. Um, cross the table from Michelle Obama and just uh, ask her uh, again. She is so genuine. She is so honest. Um, and she's so thoughtful in the way she talks about not only herself, but the country and the experience she's had. Um, I, I'm not sure I could find any questions that Oprah or others haven't asked her, but I'd, I'd really like the opportunity to try. I think the great thing about Michelle Obama is just to hear her. It's just inspiring. She has this, no, we must get to a greater place. We have to, and we have to find a route to get there. She it's like, it's like nothing can stop her. It doesn't matter the difficulties. She still aims to get to that greater place. And that's why I love listening to her. And uh, hopefully I'll get to read her book, book soon, which I haven't yet. Um, so let me ask you, um, in 2001 to 2003, you were uh, assistant White House press secretary. Uh, press secretary and director of uh, the television um, news uh, for President George W. Bush. How do you feel the information flow is different from then and now? Well, look, it's a great, great question. And what's amazing about the world is, um, you know, that was, again, almost 20 years ago. Um, And but yet information has changed so dramatically that it is like the difference between what Franklin Roosevelt's press person had to go through and John F. Kennedy's press person had to go through um, even more. You know, Roosevelt was in the radio age. Kennedy was in the television age. We think it's the same because the pictures of the briefing room and the pictures of the president on the South Lawn look exactly the same. The quality of the video is the same. But you have to remember, I served in that position before Twitter, before Facebook, before, uh, you know, we were one of the, we were actually the first group of White House staffers that were assigned Blackberries um, and all you could get up was your email. Um, And so, you know, that's a great conversation. It might be an entire half hour podcast. (laughs) It is, it is revolutionary um, how different it is. And, you know, I can't imagine what 
they deal with. You, you held the position as a senior public affairs advisor for many of our largest organizations, including uh, Goldman Sachs and company. Um, when it comes to businesses, what can you provide for them today as an advice that can help them stay encouraged? Well, look, I mean, it, again, it's another great question. And I have, again, since I left finance, I've been doing consulting uh, and help clients all the time. And one of the things that I'm talking to my clients about now is um, you have to prepare for what I call the post-Trump world. Now, that's not, I'm not suggesting that I'm certain that President Trump isn't going to win re-election because he might, but um, it's either whether it's in six months or four years and six months, the pendulum swings uh, in business, uh, I mean, in, in politics, and it affects business greatly. We've just gone through a period where, again, we, we just spent, you know, the last, last half hour talking about it, um, how information flow has changed, how words don't have the same meaning that they had. It's going to go back. Um, and it's going to go back to, I mean, um, you know, especially with this upheaval, businesses are going to have to, just because we have politicians today and leaders today that aren't careful about their words and have been less than honest and have lied to um, their constituents, businesses have to be careful not to fall into that trap to think that that is a successful formula and instead be looking around the corner and say, okay, when Elizabeth Warren is secretary of the treasury and they have a SEC chairman that actually enforces these rules um, and we, what we say to our customers and our stakeholders has to be honest and truthful, how are we going to, how are we going to do that? Wow. Um, and so to me, that's really important is to think about what the world looks like, not just in six months, but um, in 18 months, in two years, in three years. And, and again, wh whatever time frame it is, you're going to it's going to go back to uh, more heavy regulation. Uh, and we already see it today with uh, with companies um, in things like the Black Lives Matter movement in that stakeholders, customers, investors, um are holding businesses accountable. You know, think about it. It was a few short years ago um, that Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, made incredible waves by kneeling right. um, in the NFL. And now everybody's kneeling and he knelt when nobody would. Um, but now it's almost as if, and it, it is, and it should be this way, is if you don't kneel, um, people are going to judge you. And again, think about how much that's radically changed just in the short time frame. I don't even remember exactly which year. I think it might have been 17 right. when, when Kaepernick did it. But so the point is, um, the world is changing and moving. And just because today you have a president that could stand there and say things that are provably and um, absolutely untrue, businesses have to realize that that words do matter for them, not to be cliche about it, um, and more importantly to their customers and even more importantly to their future customers. Wow. Now, the one word that has stayed with me throughout this whole pandemic and throughout everything that we see on the news and everything that's out there is the word teamwork. I have never seen a level uh, needed for teamwork as I've seen today in my lifetime. And that's including from me as a me being, having a business to another business or as a person to another person. Teamwork has been something that has 
gone to a whole new level, especially let's, let's uh, focus on masks real quick. It, it, um, I say this all the time is that masks, I think they have a less than, I think less than 40% chance of protecting me and a high, higher than 70% chance protecting someone else if I wear it. So that says that me not being self, selfish and wearing a mask tells me that I'm protecting someone else. And it, it just creates like just mask itself and so many other means we've learned that teamwork is, is something so vital and so important. And I've seen it out there. I know we hear in the news all the time, all these things are going wrong and everything, but I see every day so many businesses, so many people speaking on the phone with businesses, they finding a route to teamwork instead of being competitive. And it's caused so many solutions and so many, helped so many businesses and people uh, have a stay stay at a job, not not have to let go of employees and not shut down. That it's it, it's just amazed me. No, it is. Look, I mean, we were just like I mentioned, we talked to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries this morning, and one of the questions we asked him was, "How come New York has been able to get some of this under control in ways that other places haven't?" And he talked, and both um, the congressman and myself are. He, I'm a guy from Queens. He's a guy from Brooklyn, but. And he talked about that sort of spirit of New Yorkers of helping each other out. And I think you, you say it perfectly well, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Mas- mas- masks is a great example of that. And, 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 it, and it can permeate the rest of, of business and society. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So if you have one more tip that you want to give out to businesses to help them have resiliency. I love that word. That word is just it almost comes up in every podcast. Um, what would you say to them? I mean, look, um, in terms of my career and and my life, what I've learned in terms of being resilient is, uh, you know, and, and look, I think this is going to be very applicable to and relevant for businesses in the next six to eight to uh, a year, uh, six to eight, 10 months a year, um, is even when things get hard, even when things get tough, do not forget your mission statement, your mission don't forget why you decided to do what you're doing um, and, uh, you know, work through those times because it will get better. And again, I, I you know, we're, I, I'm very nervous for some of my clients and, and for our economy in general, just because we've spent the last four or five months pumping trillions of dollars into this economy, mostly to make sure that the stock market didn't crash before the presidential election. At a certain point, the, the bullets run out of that gun or, you know, that, that gun runs out of bullets. Right. Um, and so I think that you're right to focus on resiliency because I think that a lot of businesses um, are going to have to dig deep and find their resilient, uh, their resiliency to get through again, the next six, eight, 10 months, year, unfortunately, you know, maybe more, but that's, that's where we are. And, and again, as a New Yorker, I, I, you know, one of the things I've learned during the pandemic is the importance of getting up every day, focusing on the goal and not worrying too much about what it's going to look like in a week, not worrying too much what it looked like last week, but just focusing on the task in front of you. And I think that's all businesses and professionals can do at this point. Wow. Adam, if people want to hear more about you, where can they go? Uh, look, you can find us on, thank you very much. You can find us on uh, iTunes at uh, Words Matter uh, Podcast. You can find us at wordsmattermedia.com. You can find us on Twitter. Um, 
and uh, you know you can uh, our, our email addresses and everything are on all those places. But uh, you know, good. I, I I hope that we when somebody listens to us that they learn a little something new about about the world of uh, politics and governments and Washington. Uh, this is the great thing about Words Matter podcast is that it's 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 political, but it's it's not forcefully opinionated. It's informational. And I love it because you learn things, you gain information that you need to make the right choices, to make good decisions and and find out the right things that fit you. Adam, thank you so much for coming on Business Access Podcast.